Hello everyone, I'm your host Stephen Blush and welcome to a brand new episode of the Art of the Interview podcast series powered by the Blush Media Network. Today is your time to get schooled, which is why we call this Rock History 101 from the vaults featuring classic interviews from my storage locker. Last episode, we featured a deep discussion from 1988 with the king of punk, Iggy Pop. This week's episode comes from a 2017 conversation with Johnny Eccles, the guitarist and co-founder of the legendary L.A. flower power band Love, a.k.a. Arthur Lee and Love. But first, a little backstory. While doing West Coast tour dates to promote my fourth book, which is called New York Rock, I was joined by my associate editor, Tony Mann. At my in-store at Book Soup in Hollywood, we connected with Tony's friend, Miss Mercy, who sang in the GTOs, that infamous 60s group produced by Frank Zappa that also featured Pamela DeBar. Now, many years ago, Mercy had a child with famed rock guitarist, Shuggy Otis, who was the son of jazz legend, Johnny Otis. Mercy invited us to a club in the Valley to see her son Lucky Otis perform, and he was accompanied by both Johnny Eccles and former Zappa vocalist Ike Willis. This turned into a once-in-a-lifetime chance to sit down with Johnny Eccles, who filled us in on some deep L.A. rock history, speaking to me and then the two of us joined by Tony Mann. So without further ado, here's Johnny Eccles of Love on Rock History 101, part of the Art of the Interview podcast series, powered by the Blush Media Network. Thanks for doing this. Sure, no problem. So, I know you were around L.A. like the earliest, you were playing really young and stuff like that, and wearing fake mustaches and all that kind of stuff, so kind of tell me about like the, the vibe of like the, the scene when you first started going out, out and seeing stuff in the... I guess early 60s? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, it was kind of uh, transitioning from beatnik to kind of hip people, so it still had that vibe. There were a lot of coffee houses and coffee shops and that kind of thing there, and a lot of folk music, like, uh, let's see, the Purple Onion was there, and uh, even at Pandora's, and uh, which was the other Sea Witch, a lot of times they would have folk acts come in and play so sure. it, it had that kind of vibe and it kind of slowly uh, kind of had, Johnny Rivers was kind of the transition yeah right from then like, on it switched yeah. over sure because there was a huge folk scene down here right yeah yeah, so, yeah. and then it came to Johnny Rivers like 65-ish with the whiskey and all that kind of stuff so, yeah it's an exciting time right yeah it was a great time it was a great time to live and play music especially so like when did you um, like when did you and Arthur really were you like really serious at this point or where does it this love is that where it really gets serious for you guys or well, yeah before that we were serious we're trying to make a living but nobody ever expected it so yeah so you, you kind of, love kind of steps it up right for you oh, guys of course yeah. Yeah, yeah well actually we were the grassroots before right, love right. but yeah, explain that one that was well, a weird one right. We I had been the grassroots since like 63, and Lou Adler came there. He was drunk and he was with this chick, and he was trying to impress her. So he was telling us he was going to make us into the next Beatles and all of this. He was just carrying on. 
So, and we didn't know who the fuck Blue Rattler was. So, uh, Brian said, and then, we, you know, we uh, go, got to go back on the place. So, why don't you give our manager a call? And for some reason, that rubbed him the wrong way. And he started yelling, don't you know who the fuck I am? And I can make and break groups. And then he said, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> he started laughing at him, and so he just stormed off. But, and so about... Well, a month, two months later, um, a chick comes up and says, uh, we heard your record on the radio. And I said, what record? We don't have a record. And she said, yeah, it's called Mr. Jones or something like that. So what um, Lou Adler had done is he knew how much of a crowd we were drawing yeah. there. So he figured if they thought that that was our record, yeah. they would run out and buy it, which is what they did. You know, So hundreds wow. of people went out and bought the damn record and they got on the charts so right. because of that. So uh, uh, rather than fight him in court and shit, which would have cost us a lot of money that we didn't have, yeah. we just decided to change our name. And Arthur had worked in the mail room, the packing room of a place called Love Braziers. It's L-U-V Braziers. So we were driving by and I said, you know, Brian, Arthur used to work here. And we started laughing. And then Brian said, man, that'd be a great name for a group. Yeah. And so we started talking about it. And I said, yeah, but it has to be L-O-V and not yeah, L-U-V. Yeah. And we went from there. We it it kind, of, kind of perfectly described the times in many yes, ways, don't you think? It's a much better name than Grassroots because it had the, yeah. you know, the dope connotation. So actually, that was the best thing that happened to us. They their name. Yeah. yeah. And, and you guys uh, kind of described the scene in L.A. because it was different than New York or San oh, Francisco yeah. and all that. Yeah. And, and Love really was a perfect name, again, yeah. for a group in Los yeah. Angeles at the time. Yeah, it was much freer. It wasn't as prescribed. In New York, you know, everything added like this little pitch and stuff. And in L.A. it was much freer and much more open until the cops became involved because they didn't like all the young girls, you know, coming yeah. up to Hollywood, so they wanted to put a stop to that. And they screwed everything up for everybody. But before then, it was cool. And, you know, the girl thing was so heavy with you guys because, you know, Arthur and all you guys are all good-looking and look dressed up and, you know, really had the harmonies. And yeah, the actually, we had way more than we could deal with. So, you know, sometimes I had to get, that sounds weird now, but I had to rent a room at the Landmark Hotel just so that we could have peace because when we lived at the castle, you would come home and there'd be chicks in your bed when you got there. And so <laughs> that's just the way it was. And so in order to get some rest, I had to rent a fucking room. That's a bit... <laughs> so, but the cops really tried to shut this whole thing down. Yeah. Like, talk about the cops here. Like, because they, they were intense. Well, they were assholes. They would come to the clubs and stuff. And because the chicks there, you know, they were about in the same age group as us. And they would want to hit on the girls. And the girls would, you know, the fuck wants to go out with a cop, you know? And so, <laughs> once they started getting shut down like that, they started getting pissed off at us. And so... They would find any reason to come up and hassle us. Even while we were playing on stage, they would come and hassle us. So, um, and then they started checking IDs for the, you know, the young people that came up. And uh, the young people wanted, you know, I said, no, we're not going to do this shit. And so they um, got together with the mayor and they tore down uh, Pandora's box, and, right. which was the kind of the epicenter of sure, all sure. the young people. Yeah, they did everything they could to shut it down. You 
know, they were really short-sighted, like at Ben Frank's. They wouldn't let the younger people in, or he had to dress a certain way. At Canners, it was the exact opposite. He, you know, at 2, 3 in the morning, that's the worst time for a restaurant, especially when it's open all night. They yeah, gave yeah. it to the truckers. But they saw that we were able to bring all these people in, and so they started giving us free food. Us, the doors, Iron Butterfly, Zappa. They would give us a table and free food because all those people yeah, yeah. were coming in. So he's still there, and all the rest of those places are gone. Yeah, yeah. Because he was smart enough, you know, to see where his bread was buttered, you know. So were those bands your peers, so to yeah. speak? All the people, like, yeah. who were the main L.A. bands, like, your peer bands, so to speak? Well, everybody was uh, loved, and the Iron Butterfly, the Doors, Buffalo Springfield, we all lived within Doors, the Turtles. You know, we were on basically the same neighborhood. Yeah. So we saw each other all the time and played at pretty much the same places. And Buffalo Springfield and, and those kinds of people. And that probably kept it really get, helped the scene flourish I guess is yeah. what I'm saying right because yeah, you're all hanging out and yeah. all that kind of stuff and, and influencing each other um, so what was it well you know we hear about like when the strip gets shut down and all that stuff and the, like, the, the riots and all that what, what, what happened there was that a, like an extension of the cop thing we're talking yeah that was talking about? It was part of that they, that's when they they went to Pandora's box and they had buses out and they were arresting kids for curfew violation and, you know, um, indecent exposure for guys walking around without shirts. You know, they're just silly shit. And uh, as I said, they closed Pandora's box down, which kind of ended that part of the scene. But the music scene still went on, but as far as having throngs of people there all the time, the carnival atmosphere, they kind of cleared that out. And how did that affect the band? Because you guys never really didn't leave L.A. too often. Well, no, it did kind of cut into the amount of people that would come to the shows, but, you know, it's still carried forth. So. Yeah. Um, so why, was it just as simple as that Arthur didn't want to travel? Is that why you didn't No, tour? we toured quite a lot. See, that's a, a myth. I've heard that. Yeah, that's why I'm asking you. We yeah. went every fucking where the thing was. We couldn't play places like in the South or in the Midwest because of the racial makeup of the group. And they would want us to play segregated audiences and shit. And we told them, fuck that. We're not going to you know, buy into that bullshit. Yeah. So we wouldn't play there. So basically we could play on the West Coast and the East Coast and the places in between. We just couldn't play. So, you know, it wasn't our doing. We were musicians. That was our livelihood. We were not independently wealthy. Right, so we right, needed of course. to play to live. Yeah, of course. And so there were gigs here, so we took them. And a lot of times, it's, it's for all of the time, it's much cheaper to play here than to go to New York of course, all of the expenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could drive to Santa Barbara, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we ended up getting the same money, but by the time you cover expenses, we get way, way more by staying, you know, on the West Coast. So. But we played up as far as Washington, you know, in Oregon, yeah, yeah. Sacramento. Uh, Arizona, places like that, and, uh, and Colorado, and as far south as we actually ever got was Texas, and it was decent back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we played Dallas and Austin, and uh, Miami, Florida, we did the pop festival there, but other than that, we kind of stayed out of the south. Um, 
why do you think like I mean you guys have obviously a huge cult thing and popularity but what what was why why do you think there was like not as many pop singles as some of the other groups like well, another I mean, we were an album group you yeah, know? yeah. That, that was how we we played live and and it was you know there were some like seven and seven is was a chart in my little red book and yeah, along yeah, right. again so several sure. of the songs did chart but we were album oriented so mm-hmm. When did you really notice that the scene had changed and was not over, maybe over, but changed into something else? Well, that was in the 70s, actually. Um, when was Altamont? I think that was 69. Correct. That Correct. Yeah. When that happened, and then the Manson shit, and all of that was kind of happening at the same time, and so it kind of put a damper on things, because, you know, you didn't know what the fuck was going on. People that you thought were just like you, and, you know, hip and cool. Now all of a sudden they're murdering people like you know Bobby Bussell. They played with our group when we played at the Brave New World. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We knew but we called him Bummer Bob because yeah, yeah. he had bad acid trips. But <laughs> and so all of a sudden he's involved in the murder. So that kind of put a damper on shit. And then the thing at Altamont and um, and then with Jimmy dying and then Janice and Jim Morrison all within the same you know within yeah. a few months of each other. And then Cass Elliott and Joplin, you know, it's just kind of made everything kind of dark, you know. And so I moved to New York after that and just did studio work, which was cool. It was, you know, and started a family, had a child, and, and uh, was away from it because, you know, it was, it had just gotten dark. It wasn't fun anymore, you know. When people started seeing that there was money involved, then you got the wrong type of individual and they, you know, instead of having a little bit of weed or dropping acid, now you had people out there selling speed and, and right. um, yeah. heroin and, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. there was a different kind of person, you know, sure. so, you know, the weed guys, the guy next door, the heroin guy's a whole other yeah, animal, yeah. you know, so. saw a bunch of the speed casualties earlier yeah, today, yeah. it was very sad. Yeah, it is, you know, man, very sad. lost a lot of friends, you know, to yeah. overdoses and shit, so, mm-hmm. that's when, as I said, it started changing there when the harder drugs and the, um, the harder people started showing up. Mm-hmm. How about this thing about, like, you know, outside of L.A., people have this uh, perception of it about being, like, laid back and stuff, but I never really saw it that way. I never really saw L.A. as, like, a... It was... It's like, there's, there's, a, there's, a, quiet, there's a mellow side to it, but, yeah. there, but there's, a, there's underneath there's something that's... But see, on the East Coast, like New York, that's yeah, yeah. the comparison. New yeah, York, yeah. there's just moving. Everybody's yeah, yeah. a mile a minute. Like, yeah, yeah. first time we went there, and, you know, I couldn't believe it. I'm standing on the sidewalk, and everybody's rushing by, and I'm wondering where the fuck they're going to, you know? <laughs> And it was just crowded and rushed and, 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 you know, kind of hectic. Whereas in Los Angeles, a person made, you know, he's on his way to work and he sees a friend and they say, man, let's go to the beach. And they yeah, just yeah. <laughs> split and go to the beach. Or if you were going to school, you'd do the same thing. So mm-hmm. it, it did have a, a, a different kind of, it's more, it may not be laid back, but it's kind of a devil may care rather than as serious as it was back east. It was less sure. so here. Sure. And uh, that was reflected in the music, you know, if you listen to all of the, the songs about California or mm-hmm. about this, the, the, the lifestyle here was, was different, you know, because of the sunshine and not having to deal with the cold and all the shit that, and the expense of New York, like it was much more expensive to live in yeah, New of course. York and still is. Yeah. So, um, 
and uh, all the, as I said, the younger people would kind of migrate to California from other places, and, and uh, so it, it was conducive to that because uh, you know you had that kind of, uh, as I said before, devil may care kind of thing, and you could live like as musicians even before we started making records and making money, we were able to live just by playing clubs like this or a little smaller mm-hmm. clubs and shit. But you were able to earn enough to actually have your own place and your own car and, and sure. pay the bills. And um, whereas in places like in back east, you couldn't do that. You, right. know, you had to have a second job if you were a musician. Now how about so. L.A. today? Is, is it turning oh, into that, well, that other stuff? Or? Yeah, basically it's the same as being in New York. It's probably more expensive than some places. So mm-hmm. that atmosphere, like you could get a house in Laurel Canyon. I think the first one we had, we were playing like $90 a month for rent. Wow. You know. And that same place is probably three thousand a month now, and um, you know you can't really make enough as a working musician. You're playing clubs mm-hmm. to live. You've got to have another gig or side gig or do other stuff, another hustle. And so that changed, and that changed because of the fact that you could do music as a full-time gig, and, you know, and just totally uh, focus on that rather than having to focus on making a living. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of changed the, you know, the way people looked at it and the outlook on, on music and on life in general. So, cool. yeah. Well, people were growing up actually and having to face the real world, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So we could leave it at that. Um, do you have any? Do you have any memories of Bobby Jameson? Yeah. Yeah, Bobby and we were good friends actually. Yeah. Bobby's kind of weird in that we could never coax Bobby on stage. You know, he just had this thing that he would make records and do right. tapes and shit, but he would never go on stage and play. I don't think he ever did. At least well, I don't know. If he, he did a did. tour like opening for the Beach Boys on their first tour. Oh, did he? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, but he would just have a guitar and he wouldn't have a band. Yeah. And then eventually those guys that were like kind of the wrecking crew yeah. would be like well let's play a little with this. so they would come and yeah. back him a little too but yeah. i can't find any photos or yeah any, no i didn't even i didn't even know they did that yeah because i many many times we tried to coax him up on stage come on man and mm-hmm. play and yeah and stuff and he just you i know, jammed with him a little bit really yeah. created some recordings back and forth yeah. anyway yeah, we guy. did the, we did this new yeah. uh, i have this new book called lost rockers mm-hmm it's about musicians who fell through the cracks of history, yeah. like yeah, you know, and, and Bobby's yeah, one he's of one of those, yeah. and it's sad, yeah. and that, that um, thing with Frankie Alemo or, or Tony Alemo, yeah, 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 that yeah. shit that he did was, was you know, fucked up, right? Really fucked up. He we're we're to going be. to scatter his and his brother Bill's ashes uh, with the mom. We're doing that tomorrow on Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Yeah, with the last brother Quentin. Yeah. It's pretty heavy, but he, yeah. Bobby said he was discovered at Carolina Pines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another hangout. We used to always go to Carolina. Yeah, it was uh, right across from Hang Tiny Nailers is right across there. And there's the Carolina Pines. It used to be a Carolina Pines mm-hmm. motel that was attached. So what to were the, these like? These jazz, these uh, folk clubs like? These well, kind of, they were basically like coffee houses. People yeah, yeah. would go in. Yeah, like, what were these coffee houses? Yeah, were, yeah. yeah. And, but Shelley's was a different. Shelley's was. But it's not like a coffee house today. No, 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 yeah. no totally different. Yeah. Yeah, a coffee house then. Coffee was, you know, twenty-five cents or something. So right. you could buy a donut for a dime and coffee and sit there. And, you can you hang know, out all night and for hang a dime, out. And yeah, yeah people mm-hmm. would hang out and read poetry, or somebody would be in the corner playing a guitar or something. So it was that kind of very informal, mm-hmm. you know. 
not like, as I said, Shelly's manhole was a righteous the, the, jazz. Yeah, jazz Shelly man. Yeah. 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 yeah, he had a manhole. Right. Yeah. yeah, I'd go, it was right. Was it here around here somewhere? Um, no, it's on, um, <laughs> con, right in, it's on Ivar and Selma, somewhere. Anyway, Beto Lido's the club we played, yeah. Oh, yeah. and th- they could open the back door and come out of Shelly's manhole right, right, right. there. Yeah, it was an alley. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so would you jam with Shelly Mann or any of them dudes? No, I did with Miles and oh, Paul man. Horn, played wow. with Paul Horn quite a bit, and um, some of the other people, like Gabor Zabol and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Zavanu and oh, yeah. Charles Lloyd. Nice. Yeah, I played with Charles for a while, so... How about playing fun. with Billy Preston? Yeah, I, well, I grew up with Billy. Yeah, yeah. We went to junior high school yeah, yeah. together, so we started playing music from the time we were in junior high school. Yeah, yeah one, of, one of the subjects in this book is Gloria Jones. Yeah, and she was in the Kojics with uh-huh. Billy with, with, and with Andre Crouch. Yeah, and, 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 and Andre and all that. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. You see, yeah, they had moved on and started playing. This was probably what in the, when he's playing with them. The 70s, right? That he started, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we had, um, I had moved to New York by then, but, right. you know, in junior high, we played together, and in high school, we had... We played uh, with the Beatles, the last yeah. ever show ever. Yeah, he played with the Beatles. He was the fifth Beatle, but the first game we played, uh, we went to England with uh, Little Richard and wow. Jimi Hendrix. Oh, Jimmy man. was Jimmy James, and, and he was basically uh, Little Richard's valet. Yeah. He was his gopher and shit, and every now and then, uh... Little Richard would let him play. Wow. <laughs> but uh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the guitar player that he turned into, I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. Back then, he was very kind of pedestrian journeyman guitar player. Sure. And that was before he got the effects in the wall. We know, we know a guy, uh, Mike Quashi, who was a big influence on Jimmy. He uh-huh. was a guy from Trinidad. He wrote Wood Child about. And he was showing him Shango with the fire, and he dressed. He was from the island, yeah. so he dressed. He was the guy who used to breathe fire before Led Zeppelin oh, shows. Oh. Like that guy, yeah. yeah. And he had a room Jimmy would stay in a lot of times. Uh-huh. Like how you said, you had the, kept the second place. Yeah. That was his second place. Yeah. With Mike, he had a room. So he'd yeah, come so over there. Sometimes it was necessary. Of course, you know? man. Yeah. So. But yeah, it was. Um... So when did you come back here again after New York? Well, I li- I moved. I bought a house in Sedona and. Mm. Um, I would come back and forth here and do studio work, and then um, when Arthur went to prison, he got out in 2001, and we started playing together a little after that. Yeah. And then we got together with the guys from Baby Lemonade, and we toured. Yeah, and, I saw a lot places. of those. Yeah. I, what happened is I, I was playing with, uh, I played with Didi Ramon out here at the Knitting Factory. Uh-huh. Arthur played, got out and played the next night, uh-huh. and so we went to that, and that's when I met him. And, he showed me the guitar, the T-Rex guitar and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And then every time they came to New York, I always went there. I've met you at the Town Hall mm-hmm. show. And I went to all the shows, even one in England and all that stuff. So really loved the band. It was great to see you play with them. It really yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah, and we Beautiful. got to play in front of really huge crowds in England yeah. and um, in Liverpool. And so that was neat. Fun People getting, love those you know, albums. And yeah. You oh, man. got to see it all over the world. I played uh, this past, it was last summer at Sefton Park. There was 80,000 people showed up. So awesome, man. Yeah, that was so really something. You. Yeah. Beautiful music, yeah. and you still play so nice. Yeah, it's what they nice. did was really neat. They got all the people, like Echo and the Bunnymen, I got members from them, uh-huh. and several other groups that had been influenced by uh-huh. love. They got them together, and we rehearsed, and so they played with me, and we did yeah. all of the, the Forever Change. We had strings and horns. And, People and were crying thing. at those shows. Yeah, they those were, were fun shows, man. It was cool. And, and then, it, you know, just finally seeing that, you know, the, the music actually... Uh, had a big had, effect. Right, really had big an effect, effect on people's lives. So. Even bands, you know, yeah. like 
Led Zeppelin or Robert Plant. Oh, yeah. Hunter played it. Yeah. Arthur's event. Yeah, we did that in New York. So I played with with him and and, uh, Yola Tango. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really So that was fun. And who's uh, who's some of the sessions you would have played on in New York? Oh, gosh, I played with, uh, well, there's just a lot of disco shit, a lot of jazz and blues stuff. But I played with... Don't rock the boat, baby. The Hughes Corporation oh, wow. played the guitar yeah. on that. You played the guitar on that song. Uh-huh. Hit. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, so there was it's a big hit, man. Yeah, it was a it's big an hit. iconic song. Yeah. So I played on a bunch of, um, and then I did Japanese blues, where because a lot of their TV programs and radio, they would have blues in the background. Right, right. So right. we would just write blues songs right, right, right. and get paid really, yeah, just stuff, <laughs> and, and got paid really well. You know, yeah. sometimes we'd get up to like eight, nine thousand a week oh, yeah, great, just man. playing. You know, so that was cool. That was a good living. Oh, they get the good music. Yeah. So I did that, and then uh, I decided to come back to visit my family and then mm-hmm. Arthur and I hooked back up and yeah. then, so I still have the house in Sedona but I live in Glendale up in the yep. hills above yep. Glendale. Right. So. Whatever happened to the castle? Uh, Vera Wang bought that and she restored it and it's oh. beautiful now. Oh. See, sometimes have you been there they since? Have to, yeah, we, when they love DVD they show, um, they did a documentary DVD for oh. us and um, oh. You see Arthur's explaining, you know, you go into this gilded mansion. Now, it didn't look like that when we oh, lived there. Oh, I gotta there. see that. I haven't yeah, seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, You can see it on... Um, Some on YouTube. YouTube on YouTube, or they, they sell it on Amazon. I yeah, think yeah. it's 13 bucks. But mm-hmm. you go to YouTube yeah, yeah. and um, look for the, uh, the start. Yeah, it would be the castle or start video. Start mm-hmm. Productions, rather. Mm-hmm. They're the ones. And they have it on Vimeo. And they, yeah. And... Um, they have this, so you can get it and, and just watch the whole thing there. It's cool. It was, um, they had some, you know, obviously posthumous stuff of Brian and Kenny, but uh, I did most of the talk because by then Arthur was sick, but they had gotten several interviews with him and he was driving around talking yeah. and showing them places that we'd been in, in the castle. And I gotta see that. Then I went to Canters and Vito Lido's and oh, a yeah. couple of other places and oh, showed cool. them. Yeah. Oh, I, I gotta so see that. It's when, neat. Uh, that's why I didn't know the whole Canners thing started with you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we started just going there. there. <laughs> yeah, because it was they wouldn't let people hang out in Ben Frank, so yeah, that yeah. was right. such fuck it, we'll go here. And then, so I said Ben Canner was a smart man. He knew. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, so. when we uh, when we, we talked to Bobby one time, he told us that when he got offered the monkeys, he called Brian McLean and told him to try to do yeah. it. I don't want to do this. I, yeah. I hang out with them. Like I, I can't be like a fake Beatles. It's my yeah. friends and there's stones. It's yeah, weird. it was it was kind of weird because Don Conker went down there. I don't think he. I think it was just a goof for him and he. I saw one time when he played at the at uh, House of Blues. Don Conker got yeah. up and played. I was yeah. at that. Yeah, he hadn't played, and you know he was scared to death. And I kept uh-huh. trying to exhort him, "Come on and play, man!" But he was so scared, he just yeah. kept the beat, and that was all. He wouldn't add any fills yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, later really we really cool had, drummer. Yeah, he was going to tour with us, and we had worked out and uh-huh. rehearsed and shit, and then uh-huh. uh, he just OD. Mm-hmm. You know, that was sad. You know, yeah, that was really sad. But hey, that's life. Well, it's really nice talking to you. Yeah, really, yeah. Really, really, talk really, it's like magical to yeah. us to come see yeah, you. Yeah, I know. Good talking to you, you guys. You and Ike Willis here together. Right? <laughs> it's too much. Well, really a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Take care.